hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. Coming up, the government announced a lot of changes and the lifting of restrictions when it comes to travel for Canadians and for those coming to Canada. So in a few moments, we'll get our resident travel agent, Ken Stewart from Crowfoot Travel Solutions, to weigh in on what those coming changes mean for you. Plus, we'll chat with Tim Noakes from the Johnson Canyon Lodge and Bungalows located in the Bow Valley Parkway in Alberta. It's a very popular place to visit in the summertime. And February is Black History Month, so in honor of that, we'll head south to the state of Alabama and find out the story behind the U.S. Civil Rights Trail, which you can tour and visit. But first, let's start things out talking about the new changes and the lifting of restrictions when it comes to travel for Canadians and those coming to Canada. To help us out is our resident travel agent, Ken Stewart from Crowfoot Travel Solutions, who joins us now to weigh in on what those coming changes mean for you. Hi, Ken. Hello, Randy. Happy Sunday, everyone. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, all the new rules and uh, new restrictions, or the relaxing of the restrictions, I guess, yeah. that are coming very soon. Let's start with the uh, test requirements, no longer uh, PCR test requirements. This is good news. Yes, exactly. It's definitely going to make life a lot easier and uh, save everybody a lot of money, especially if you're traveling with family members, because they are a lot more expensive. And even uh, doing the sun hot destinations, a lot of the resorts have always included the antigen tests uh, for the Americans. And so we're going to presume that they're going to include them for the Canadians well now. So again, so free testing to come back and everything like that. Uh, still a few gray areas as we're, you know, kind of sorting through everything. It was just announced this week. The only thing we know for absolute certain is that February 28th, 12.01, it goes into effect. Um, we're seeing a couple different things which are confusing and we're trying to get clarification on uh, for traveling because airlines are saying 24 hours prior to departure time and the government website says the day before, full day before. So we're trying to clarify that. And there are, that's, that is a big difference. <laughs> You're right, it's a big gray area. I'm by the government site and arguing there, it says taken the day prior to their scheduled flight or arrival at the land border or marine port of entry, right off the website there. <laughs> that's the one that we're quoting right now. And again, they're uh, saying that unvaccinated travelers, uh, if you happen to be one of those, you're still going to be required to test on arrival and test again on day eight and quarantine for 14 days arriving. Uh, children under 12, traveling with fully vaccinated adults, will be exempt from the quarantine, uh, and they no longer have to wait 14 days before they can go back to school or anything like that coming back in as well. Things are really going to open up for us overall, and I think it's really good. So here's the uh, stickler that I have. This still does not solve the problem if you test positive at your destination, but you're still going to have to quarantine until you get a negative test, I'm assuming. Correct. You're still going to have to have a negative test to return home. Uh, and or, like I say, if the 10 days have passed, uh, then you can travel with your medical certificate that you did have COVID. So you've got two options. A negative <clears> test <throat> would allow you to come back a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. And again, that's a little bit of a gray area because I know on your Arrive Can app, you have to, you know, pay, uh, check off the little box whether or not you had COVID or whatever while you're gone. Uh, but if you've got a negative test, you should be able to enter the country, is our understanding, and or the uh, 10 days. 10-day rule. Now, the other uh, issue I have is the they'll be doing random PCR tests at the airport, which I think is a waste of time and resources. 
because you know, and they say you will not have to quarantine until your result comes back. So I don't know if the in the unlikely event that say you test positive with your PCR test, you're running around going to work or whatever, and then three or four days later you get a positive test. Well, it kind of defeats the whole purpose. Exactly. <laughs> so I we're just... We're going to assume that that is probably going to change as well. <laughs> uh, I mean, it does help for people that are coming from, you know, a lot of other countries, not necessarily Canadians and everything like that. But again, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a fact for everybody. It's like, okay, yep, no, I test. Yep, no, I don't know anything, but I'm going to go to the mall and walk around, or I'm going to go to the grocery store, or I'm going to get gas. You're putting your hands and everything everywhere. Uh-huh. So, yeah. yeah. It's just no. kind of, I don't know. It's good that they uh, changed it, certainly for the cost. Yeah. Uh, but it's still, again, it doesn't get away from that factor of if you test positive, uh, you're still probably uh, stuck in your destination, and so you better have the proper insurance, right? Yep. <laughs> Which, exactly. by the way, uh, the fact that they've lifted the um, no travel advisory, that changes uh, insurance, right? Exactly. Yeah, and we're waiting to hear. Uh, we've had no notifications yet on the updates on that because I know that did change when we went through the same scenario uh, last uh, summer, fall, in August, September, where they changed and where they're allowing the different policies and things like that to, to uh, you know, travel and what kind of medical policies we could sell and all of those different things. So. Mm-hmm. And it is good that the restrictions are lifted for children under 12 as well. I mean, they don't have to quarantine when they come back home. So we're moving in the right direction. Just exactly. not quite there yet. More positive, a little bit of gray, and some we're still waiting to figure it out. <laughs> That's a good way to put Nothing it. Nothing new Ken. over the last two years. It's been that way for about two years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it, though. Ken Stewart from Crowfoot Travel Solutions. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you, Randy. The Bow Valley Parkway in Alberta is a very popular area for visitors in the summertime, offering all kinds of hiking options and outdoor adventures. It's also home to Johnson Canyon, and if you've ever been there, you've probably noticed the Johnson Canyon Lodge and Bungalows. It's at the base of the Johnson Canyon Trail. So joining us now to tell us more about them is Tim Noakes. He is the general manager of the Johnson Canyon Lodge and Bungalows. The website is johnsoncanyon.com. Hi, Tim. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. It's nice to be chatting with you because uh, every time my family has gone to Johnson Canyon to do that, uh, and I'm going to call it a little hike, and it's my kind of hiking, by the way. You know, it's got steps. It's uh, very well-groomed and looked after. But anyways, every time uh, we do that hike and we walk by the uh, Johnson Canyon bungalows, uh, I always say to my wife, I wonder what it's like to stay there. So here we are. So tell me some background about the uh, Johnson Canyon Lodge and bungalows and and the story behind that sure absolute pleasure um so my my grandfather uh walter camp he he used to uh do open car tours um from banff to lake louise in the 1920s so literally a century ago and uh he uh stopped there uh which was a a rest stop for the tally hose and because it was halfway to lake louise from banff and uh, he, there was a small tea house there, a log tea house, and uh, he ended up purchasing it because he felt the, the area and the canyon itself had uh, great potential. So he bought it in 1926 and uh, opened it up with my grandmother and, and 
proceeded over the next uh, 40, 50 years to build 42 uh, cabins up there. And uh, at the time, in the 1920s, uh, the Canadian Pacific Railway had set up a series of what was called motor bungalow camps. Um, And this was an additional way to get tourists to explore the Rockies and uh, the mountain parks, um, in addition to staying in their baronial castles, uh, hotels like the Banff Springs or the Mm -hmm. Chateau Lake Louise. Um, So this was an additional way to explore through the park and kind of have a monopoly, really, on tourism. So uh, my grandfather was the the first and only competitor to uh, CP Rail um, for these bungalow motor camps. And uh, uh, it stays pretty much, or it has remained the same that it has been uh, for the last well, 95 years, meaning you can drive right up beside the, the cabin and the bungalows. Um, the cabins are, um, the architectural style is in sort of a Frank Lloyd Wright arts and crafts. And we've, uh, we've worked very hard to try to maintain that look with obviously getting some modern touches in it, like, uh, <laughs> like hot running water. What a, what a, what a concept from the 1920s, but, um, uh, they're, they're beautifully appointed. And, um, uh, what's interesting is people, when they stay, you know, they think, Oh, uh, you know, you, you don't have, uh, you don't have internet or you don't have Netflix. And, uh, the next day they think, thank God you don't have Netflix or the internet <laughs> because it, it, it gives them a chance to unplug. And, uh, you know, you see, you see people, we, we have some, uh, fire pits and, uh, bung or, uh, uh, barbecue sites. And, and at night you can see the stars and, and, you know, you might have a, you might have a fox or, or a bear wandering around, uh, through the forest. And you really get a sense of, of stepping back into time, which is what, I think a lot of people are wanting to do these days is just to connect. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the trail itself, um, uh, up to the lower falls and the upper falls, there's a, a series of seven uh, waterfalls and there's suspended catwalks all the way up with multiple viewing platforms. Um, so it gives you a first, uh, first chance opportunity to get up the trail before the trail does get busy by 10 o'clock. And it, it subsides by about 5 p.m. at night. So it is a busy trail. It's arguably the most popular hike uh, in all of Canada. Um, and I think the, the reason for that is, is pretty obvious. It's, it's, it has the most scenic value, value for probably the least amount of effort. So, you know, like yourself, uh, if, you, if, you know, you're not wanting to do a serious hike of four or five hours and, and pack lunch and things, it's a it's a wonderful family getaway. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're right; it does get very busy uh, in the summertime. So when when people are looking to stay there, and you're only open during the summer, am I correct on that? That is correct. Um, from uh, beginning of May to uh, Thanksgiving weekend in October, and uh, we're located on the Bow Valley Parkway, uh, which is a scenic attraction onto itself, and and just as of Days ago, uh, Parks Canada has announced the the initial 17 kilometers of the Bow Valley mm-hmm. Parkway um, is going to be restricted uh, off and on throughout the, the summer season um, to allow cycling. So it's a bit more of a cycling opportunity. Um, but you can still access our property via Castle Mountain um, or the Castle Mountain Junction. 
and then uh, just come six kilometers back on the Bow Valley Parkway. Oh, good. I was going to ask you about that and how yeah. that affects you. Uh, but getting back to how busy it, it, it can be in the summertime, if you are going to book a cabin, uh, how far in advance do you want to be doing that? Am I looking at doing it now? Well, that's a very good question. I mean, uh, we have we have 42 um, units, bungalows, um, which really isn't that many. Uh, if you think of a hotel, it can mm-hmm. have 40 rooms or 80 or 100 rooms or something. So um, summertime, it does book up pretty quickly. Um, you know, with the pandemic, people have been hesitant to book because they're not sure if this restriction is going to be on or yeah. if there's going to be, um, uh, you know, uh, it's just been a bit fluid. But now that it appears that things are lifting, it's getting much busier and uh, returning back to, I would say, 2019 kind of volumes of booking. Mm-hmm. So um, we have a very uh, uh, accommodating cancellation policy. So I would, what I would say to your to your listeners is, is book and, and uh, you know, if, if you're a week out or days out, you can cancel. And there's there's very, in fact, I don't, we don't have a cancellation policy right now, you know, especially if you cancel within uh, within a week of booking. So um, much like flights, it's a much, it, it's better to book ahead and make sure you get what you want and, mm-hmm. and the prices that you want too. And I suppose the flip side of that is uh, if you haven't booked and you're not quite sure, uh, check back regularly to see if there are cancellations, you might be able to grab a, a cabin or something. Absolutely. And we're also, we, we do these, um, we do some incentives. If you book in advance, uh, we, we do a discount um, in advance uh, just to, to be a little bit more of an enticement. But um, the one thing I'd say is there really isn't a bad season at, at, uh, at Johnson's Canyon or on the Bull Valley Parkway in the springtime, uh, May and June. Usually in the mountains, we call it monsoon June, which I think most of Alberta does because <laughs> we can get a lot of rain. Yeah. But the last couple of years, you know, the, the weather has been uh, anything but predictable. And, and June is, is arguably one of the most beautiful months with all the poplar trees um, uh, getting green. Mm-hmm. Um, it, is, it is probably the best time of the season to see animals on the Bow Valley Parkway that be you know, the grizzly bears and the black bears and the, uh, the elk and the deer. Um, everyone is coming down uh, from the higher areas of the mountains that have snow to come down to the lower valley where it's greening up, which is where, um, uh, you know, all the fresh flowers and all the, the buds are coming out. Mm-hmm. So uh, the abundance of wildlife in the spring is huge. And, of course, summertime has um, all the, the alpine flowers blooming and usually warmer temperatures. And then in the fall, you get a dusting of, of snow on, on the Rockies, the Sawback Range, and, and Pilot Mountain. And that's spectacular. So there really isn't a bad time of year to, you know, in, in our opening up season, um, to, to explore Johnson's Canyon and, uh, and the region. It's, 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 it's pretty special. Um, you are part of what is called the Parkway Cabin Collection. I didn't know this. So there's uh, the Castle Mountain Chalets and Baker Creek Mountain Resort part of uh, that collection. What's your relationship with them? We can't stand them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we, no, we, we, we work, we, we all, um, uh, we have quite a bit of things in common in that we are, we're historic bungalow camps. Um, and we all offer uh, something a little bit different than the other person. Castle Mountain um, has spectacular, impressive views of, uh, of Castle Mountain itself. 
and um, is, is, has a, um, doesn't have a restaurant like Baker Creek or Johnston Canyon, but it does have um, uh, like a, a shopping store for mm-hmm. all your amenities to, for cooking and things like this. Um, Baker Creek, um, again, a very historic, beautiful log-style cabins. Um, has, um, it doesn't have the bistro this year because it uh, sadly burnt down last year. Um, but its proximity to Lake Louise is that much closer. Um, and we're all connected on the Bow Valley Parkway. So, you know, if you wanted to cycle from one to the other, you could literally stay at one, two or three properties and mm. just have a biking holiday. But um, we, we're, all, um, we're all connected and have all the same um, uh, pressures with uh, operating in, in a national park. Um, all the pleasures and pressures, if, if that's something to be said. But um, uh, we're all small boutique hoteliers, um, and we, we pride ourselves in also being park stewards uh, because a lot of the time we're the, we're the front staff that have to, um, uh, you know, when there's, when there's an animal issue, mm-hmm. uh, there could be an emergency, um, it could be a small fire, it just goes on and on and on. So um, we, we rely on each other quite a bit as, as a resource. So we have a very, very good relationship. Tim Noakes is the general manager of the Johnson Canyon Lodge and Bungalows. You can find out more info at johnsoncanyon.com. That's their website. And uh, next time, just don't walk by and do the hike, stop and s- spend the night. Right, Tim? <laughs> That's right. Right. Or, or at least get an ice cream cone at the, at the shack going up the trail. It's, uh, some of the best ice cream uh, in the Valley, that's for sure. It is. Uh, thanks for doing this, Tim. I appreciate it. Yeah, really pleasure talking with you, too. All the best. February is Black History Month, so in honor of that, we thought we'd head south to the state of Alabama and learn about the U.S. Civil Rights Trail. It spans through many different states in the southern U.S., so joining us now to tell us about the U.S. Civil Rights Trail and the story behind it is Lee Santel. He is the state tourism director and founder of the U.S. Civil Rights Trail. The website is civilrightstrail.com. Hi, Lee. Hey, how are you? Thanks, thanks for the call. I'm well, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to learn all about the Civil Rights Trail. I'm a bit of a history buff and uh, those types of things. So just tell me about how the uh, Civil Rights Trail came about. People are surprised to find out that when George Wallace was running for office his last time in 1982, he was running behind. And so one Sunday morning... He left the state capitol and came down the hill one block to what is uh, Martin Luther King's church. And the state trooper wheeled him. He was uninvited, unexpected, and rode himself down to the front of the church and said, I want to apologize to you and your people during my career. I have I've been unfair to you, and I want to apologize. I want to ask for your forgiveness and ask for your vote. Black people are the most forgiving people I've ever met. They they voted him back in uh, to his uh, his final time. He got a new tourism director from Birmingham who went to the governor and said, black people got you elected. We need to honor them in some way. And I would like to create the Alabama Black Heritage Guide, which was 
meaning pictures of a lot of black churches, maybe where Martin Luther King spoke and or other people did. And so that publication was updated for 20 years until I got here, and I looked at it, and, and I'd heard that I'd looked at some trade publications about group travel industry, and there was a reference to teachers from black schools in Detroit and Chicago coming on the Alabama Civil Rights Trail. So I asked my staff, what is the Alabama Civil Rights Trail? And they said, well, these are uh, black teachers bringing their black students south. And I said, well, what kind of collateral material do we have that would get more of them to come? And they said, well, we've got this this black heritage guide that's uh, too expensive to reprint and so I said, okay, we're going to create the Alabama Civil Rights Trail because these people are telling us what they want. And so I lifted out of that Black Heritage Guide uh, museums and other places where motor coach groups uh, are welcome. And so that was in 2003 or four, And so we published uh, that publication every four or five years. Mm-hmm. And then I showed this to my counterparts. There's an organization called Travel South USA, and that is a board of the 12 Southern State Tourism Directors. And I encouraged other states to do something similar. And uh, some of them did, some of them didn't. But but, uh, so in 2018, uh, as a group, we launched the U.S. Civil Rights Trail. Some states had more content than others, but in the years since then, other states have found it uh, advantageous to have a Louisiana Civil Rights Trail and a Georgia Civil Rights Trail because the topic of civil rights tourism, which had never been a category, is now a very uh, strong category, particularly uh, internationals are interested in coming to the South and finding out about what happened in the 50s and 60s. And um, so we, there there are buses driving around in the spring uh, every time, uh, well, before COVID. But there's even uh, the the lynching memorial, which opened uh, a couple of months after the Civil Rights Trail launched. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first year, they had 400,000 visitors. The second year, they had 500,000 visitors. And you wouldn't think that a topic like that would attract people, but uh, it is uh, it's inspirational and, and it's breathtakingly done. Mm-hmm. What's the best way to experience something like, uh, like if you go on the on the website, you get sort of a better idea of what the civil rights trail is all about. You're in Alabama. There's uh, Georgia, North Carolina, Mississippi. Uh, I mean, different states, and like you said, they have their uh, different you know, points of history and those types of things. But what's the best, as, a, as an international tourist like myself, if I'm in Alabama for a week or something like that, what would be the best way to experience something like that? People are surprised that I'm the Alabama Tourism Director, and I tell people to start in Memphis. Uh, Trafalgar Travel, which is one of the biggest companies in Europe, they have a 14-day trip, and it flies into Memphis and then uh, – then the group is taken through Mississippi and then through uh, Alabama and then into Georgia for several days, and and then they fly home. But 
what I like about the Memphis Museum, and, and that's the Lorraine Motel where Dr. King was mm-hmm. killed. Mm-hmm. It is arranged chron- chronologically, so it's not for the whole movement, not just what happened in Memphis, but uh, they have a, a full-scale version of what appears to be a, a portion of the Evan Pettus Bridge. Uh, they have a a lunch counter that is what the lunch counters looked like uh, in the uh, in the 1960s when college students created sit-ins. Uh, they have a full-size, old-fashioned uh, yellow and green. Montgomery City bus with a bronze statue of Rosa Parks sitting where she sat. And you could sit there and have your picture made with Rosa Parks. Uh, but um, the, the MIPS Museum is just a great way, uh, great way to start it because most of the other museums, including the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute and the Rosa Parks Museum here in Montgomery, uh, these are they're more, more local. And uh, what I like about the Memphis Museum, it gives you a chronological overview. And so people can understand the connectivity that what happened in one city uh, influenced others. And because the civil rights movement was not with one great big strategy, but it's what uh, it was in response to local activities and and local needs and uh, shortcomings for from a racial standpoint, uh, for African-Americans. Tell me about some of the uh, historic sites in, in your state, Alabama. Like like I mentioned earlier, uh, before we started the interview, uh, I'm, I'm sitting a block from Martin Luther King's church. Uh, when I walk across the building and look out the cafeteria window, I'm looking down on Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, where Dr. King was drafted into becoming uh, the face and inspirational little leader for the Montgomery bus boycott. And one block from Martin Luther King's church up the hill is the state capitol. And that's where Jefferson Davis was sworn in as president of the Confederacy. And when you look, when you walk down the four blocks of Dexter Avenue, you come to a circular fountain. On one side of the street is where the Winter Building is, where Jefferson Davis sent the order to fire on Fort Sumter. Across the street from that is the bus stop where Rosa Parks got on the bus. And Montgomery is just overlapped with a a lot of uh, amazing places where civil rights activities took place. Anything you want to add? I mean, time goes by so fast and we are running out of time and there's so much we could talk about. But is there anything uh, particular I might have missed that you might want to add People should uh, come come to Montgomery, come to Birmingham, and uh, and just south of there is a Mobile, where the Clotilda slave ship was found. And in a couple of years, that'll be a really strong tourist attraction. There is a book that people can can get though to, to, if they wanted to learn more about the Civil Rights Trail, right? Uh, absolutely, and uh, it, it's a book that our office uh, released a few months ago. It's called the Official. U.S. Civil Rights Trail, and uh, my name is Lee Sintel, S-E-N-T-E-L-L, and uh, our office doesn't make any money from the book, neither do I, but uh, it's a great way to sort of condense the story so that people can understand how each 
cities' activities were different from the neighboring cities. Uh, it's the Civil Rights Trail. Website is civilrightstrail.com. Lee Sento is the state tourism director and founder of the U.S. Civil Rights Trail. Like I said, Lee, we could uh, chat for hours probably, but time is our enemy. We'll just have to have you back on again. And I do appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Thanks, thanks for calling. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website, theinformedtraveler.org. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know, leave a review, tell a friend, or you can drop me a line. My email is randy at theinformedtraveler.org. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler or follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.org.